0: We find that to be true. The innocent, that, that's a big struggle in the world for why people don't want to accept that God is God. Because how can God be good if he doesn't end all suffering? That is a humanistic argument. It's an argument from the point of view of being man centered. We see, we can only understand suffering as being bad, we only see the negative sense of suffering. That's not all that God sees. God sees what is accomplished in that suffering all the way around the world by that one person. You know, like the old saying, a butterfly flaps his wing and there's a hurricane on the other side of the world. That, that nothing happens on earth that doesn't affect others is kind of the concept behind that. That I think it's a Chinese parable. But the, the point is, <clears throat> when, when the children of Israel went through the exodus in their period of suffering and God brought them through the Red Sea... Do you know that God said he did all of that so the Egyptians would know he was real? It really didn't have anything to do with the children of Israel. Because sometimes God's accomplishing things we can't see. If we have a God-centered worldview where our, our, our ideal is to live a life honoring God, trusting in God, believing in God, which I think is what set Job apart. Then suffering becomes what Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8 when we get there. He says, I I do not consider it worthy to be compared. This present suffering with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, Paul says, this present suffering is little, tiny, small, insignificant. Now, Paul suffered a lot. But he said, compared to the excellency of being with Christ, it's little. It's little. So he's got a a man-centered view. The innocent don't suffer. The innocent don't suffer. Unfortunately, that's not true. But that's, that's part of Eliphaz's concept of God. Okay? Remember the innocent perishing or were the upright ever cut off? Well, answer that question. Were the upright ever cut off? I just told you a story of Genesis chapter 4. What were the two characters' names? Cain and Abel. Which one was upright? Abel. What happened to him? He got killed by his brother. Have the upright ever been cut off? Well, yeah, that's using a story that they would be familiar with. You know what I mean? That, <clears throat> that would have been part of the history at that time. So why Eliphaz has this concept of God? You see, sometimes the Bible tells us not to make God in our own image. And we do that. We put God in a box and we say, this is how God works. God don't fit in any of our boxes. He never intended to be caged. He is wild, and he is good. I always like what C.S. Lewis said: "He's not tame, but he is good." So when we when we consider the concepts, the 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 idea that the Good happens to good people, bad happens to bad people. That's where Eliphaz is coming from. And he's basing it on personal experience. Look what he says in verse 8. Even as I have seen. Now here's the challenging part. Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And when I got to that, it challenged me. It challenged my concept of, of Galatians 6. <coughs> because I've said something like that before. Well, you sow what you reap. We probably all said it at one time or another. Sometimes I said it about somebody who finally got themselves caught up into trouble. Well, there you go. So you reap what you sow. Man, that's dumb. I don't. I don't think that's right. Because God's going to say Eliphaz is wrong. But that challenges some of my. Concepts, You know what I mean? It challenges some of my concepts. But when I sit back and I look at the reality, okay, what's the reality? Well, there's a lot of people out there sowing evil who don't reap what they sowed yet. Yet. Payday, someday. Everyone stands before God. And on that day, you will give account. There's no free pass. You know christ is it you know it's either christ or you're on your own and on your own is a bad place to be before a holy just and righteous god so so it challenges my ideas he says in my experience in eliphaz's experience job if this is happening to you you did wrong and what we know from job is job didn't do nothing wrong right Is that what god said in all this job did not sin with his lips nor charge god with wrong so job remained righteous through the whole deal and it wasn't because of what he was sowing that's not why he reaped this this stuff in his life by the blast of god they perish and by the breath of his anger they're consumed the roaring of the lion the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken the old lion perishes for lack of prey and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. <clears throat> He's saying, look, this is how God works everywhere. This is how God, we can see it in the, in, in the wild kingdom, if you will. We can see that God consumes, that God watches over the lions, that, that he, for the good, he wipes out their teeth. For the bad, they get to tear them up. The idea that that good happens to good people, bad happens to bad people, this has been my experience. He's not saying this is what God's told me, this is what I find in his word. He's saying this is my experience. So this is where Eliphaz is coming from. And then he comes to verse 12 and he gets spiritual. Drives me crazy when people do this, but this happens all the time. Now, not that it doesn't really happen, but sometimes people, uh, they can... Talk like this. See if you see what I mean. In verse twelve. He says, "Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. It this it in <clears throat> disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake, and a spirit passed before my face, and the hair on my body stood up. It stood still." but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes, and there was silence, and I heard the voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? So in essence, he's said, Oh, I had a dream last night, or while I was having a dream, God spoke to me. He sent the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit said to me. The Spirit said to me, can an ordinary man, that word mortal, probably a better definition of it would be ordinary man. You get the same idea from mortal, right? But, but I want you to see the word play. Can an ordinary man be more righteous than God? Can a real man be more pure than his maker? So he's saying, you know, can a regular guy be, be righteous? And even a real man, you know, a man's man, can he be more pure than his maker? The the charge is is uh, you are guilty and the cause of your own suffering. Now, not that these things aren't true. I can't be more righteous than God. I'm only righteous because of God. I can't be more pure than God. I, I can only achieve holiness or purity based on the work of God within me. Right? So those things are, are real, but that doesn't mean that my suffering... Is because of something I did wrong. Or that God is in heaven having to move based on my choices. You guys get what I mean? So God's up there waiting, and if I do good, then he blessing, bless him, but he can't bring blessing until I do good. And if I do bad, God's going to bring, bring a, a, a bad into my life, but he can't do that until I move. That means God is, is having to follow my motions. You get kind of where I'm coming from? But from Job's point of view, God is in control. He he can bring the rainfalls on who? The righteous and the good, right? Are are you know what I mean. Righteous and the good are both the same word. But we have the we have the scripture laying out for us that God brings blessing on those who deserve it and on those who don't. But that's not who Eliphaz's God is. So he's <clears throat> he's blaming. Now, wouldn't you love to be comforted like this when you're down in, in an ash heap and the guy's saying, well, you're only there because of your own dumb choices, Job. What'd you do wrong? Confess, get right with God. Well, he says, then he, he he's building on this argument. If or since he puts no trust in his servants, and if or since he charges his angels with error, the Bible tells us that the angels that did not keep their first estate, uh, the Bible definitely talks about angels being kept in prison, right? right? Whether or not you think that's in Genesis 6 or not is irrelevant. The point is, at some point, <clears throat> we know angels sinned, and some of those angels are in chains, and they get let loose in Revelation. So that part's real. God, God charges angels with wrong. So if the angels, he's saying to, to Job, if the angels even are, aren't good in God's sight, how much more are those who dwell in houses of clay? whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. He's contrasting the difference between men and angels. And if angels have sinned or fallen, well, how much more than men? Well, it's, it's not up for dispute. Is man fallen? Sure, man's fallen. That's not the point. Is man fallen? The point is, is what's happened to Job the, the cause of his sin? And the answer from God is No. Which means we don't get to put that cage around him, right? And say, this is how God works. And then he goes, uh, he says, they are broken in pieces from morning till evening, That's from birth to death. They perish forever with no one regarding. Who cares about a man? You know, they, they live, they die, they're here, they're gone. Uh, does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. So he says, call out now. So he says, Job, confess. Confess your sin, what you've done wrong. He says, confess, Job, you don't have much time. You could die without wisdom. Confess what you've done. Is there anyone who will answer you? Is there anyone here who's going to say, no, I know, you know, I'm going to stand for Job. Is there anyone who's going to answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn in other words who's going to help you there has to be a reason for what you are facing for what you're going through Job there has to be something you've done for wrath he says kills a foolish man wrath comes upon the guilty wrath only comes on the guilty and envy slays a simple one again he's talking about his experience i have seen the foolish taking root but suddenly i cursed his dwelling place and his sons are far from safety they are crushed in the gate and there is no deliverer well that's real comforting to the guy who just lost 10 kids right job it's your sin and your sin killed your children And your sin brought this judgment upon you. And you need to confess because God only pours out stuff like this suffering on those who have offended him, have sinned. it's your sin that brought this. And the whole time we go through, we're going to have to keep remembering to remind ourselves, no. Job didn't sin. It wasn't his sin. I'm not saying Job wasn't a sinner. It wasn't his sin that brought the judgment. It's the sovereignty of God. That God is accomplishing something great in his life. There's a scripture in Philippians. I want to say it's in chapter 2. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You guys ever read that verse? (sighs) It's good not to stop there. Because if we just read that verse, we start to say things like, well, what? Chance do I got. I don't have the ability to work out much of anything. If my salvation depends on me working anything out, I, what, what, what will I do? What will I do? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That God is working in our circumstances. Good, bad, and ugly. He is accomplishing his purpose. We can trust. We can trust that he knows what he's doing, that that he understands what's going on. Well, as he... uh, I almost went all the way to seven. You guys be excited about that, I'm sure. But he says, he goes on to say, Listen, because the hungry eat up the harvest, taking it even from the thorns, and a snare snatches their substance, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground. In Eliphaz's experience, bad things don't just happen. Bad things happen only when you deserve something bad to happen to you. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And then he says he, he gets, uh, um, I don't know, a little bit religious with him right here. Listen to what he says. But as for me, I would see God. And to God, I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters in the field. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He's saying, look at all the good things God does. You just trust yourself into the hands of God. Well, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that concept. Trust yourself into the hands of God. But I think the way he's offering it, if I were you, I would be seeking the Lord instead of sitting in this ash heap. Sometimes we think we can relate to someone's suffering. And it's a whole lot better off not to even try to relate to someone else's suffering. You have no idea what that suffering is like for them. You have no idea. Do we want to lead them toward the Lord? Absolutely we want to lead them to the Lord. Do we want to have them pray, seek God? Yes, we want to do it. But we we want to do it in a way that's going to honor the Lord. He says, now, you must not be submitting to God. Look at verse 12. You must not be submitting to God. For he frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. And he catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning uh, comes quickly upon them. So we say, oh man, God's judgment comes quick on the wicked, quick on those who have done wrong. So it's come quick. You you haven't you looked holy and you looked righteous, but there's got to be something wrong with you. A secret sin. There's secret sin in your life. That's why these things are happening to you. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime uh, as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword and the mouth of the mighty. And from their hand, so the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. He says, listen, Job, you've lost hope. You've lost your hope. Listen, job will be the first one to tell you that. Job will say, I lost my hope. I, I, I think I'm going to suffer like this until I die, and I wish God would just finish the job and kill me. But you know what else he said? For I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. And with my eyes, I will see him. What's that? That's faith in God in the midst of hopelessness. Still clinging to what he has, still clinging to what he knows. (coughs) So then he says, listen. In verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. So, be thankful for the chastening of God. You're being chastened. Be thankful for the chastening of God. That's quoted in Hebrews, by the way. The only verse in Job quoted in the New Testament. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges. Every son. He says, Be thankful in that, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death, and in war, from the power of the sword. Now he's saying something that we can catch ourselves doing believe in God's ability to deliver you. Job, I know this is hard and I'm pretty sure God's judging you for a sin. This is the chastening hand of God in your life. But you just trust God. He'll deliver you. That works okay until you come to Smyrna. You guys remember the church of Smyrna in Revelation? That's the persecuted church. You know what God says to the persecuted church? Be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life to the persecuted church God does not say I'm going to deliver you sometimes what furthers the cause of God is a loss sometimes what furthers the cause of God is 10 kids dying at once And we have a hard time reconciling that. That's why Job challenges our theology. Because God would say, it's good for those ten kids that they went at once. Do you know what else God did for Job? God said, I'll give Job double. I'm going to give him back double what he lost. You know, he doubled everything except his kids why well I would say the first 10 aren't lost they're just not here but they're not lost and when God looks at eternity he's saying look my goal is to have you guys all home together so I doubled your kids when you get to heaven you're going to have 20 but they're safe but sometimes we have a hard time reconciling that, don't we? I know a pastor who three times in his, in his ministry, he's been called to pray for someone, to go pray in the hospital for someone to be healed. And uh, he's gone in and laid hands on them and prayed and they died while he was praying for them. People stop calling you <laughs> when you're the pastor of, you know, the touch of death. Three times. Yeah, he laughs about it now, but it wasn't always very funny. But in reality, didn't God answer what he's praying for? Keith, who comes when he's able, who's in the middle of a battle with bone cancer, who is terminal by a doctor's account, and unless God does a miracle, cancer's going to get him. He tells me all the time, he says, Jackie, God's going to heal me one way or the other. He's going to heal me and I'll stay here, or he's going to heal me and he's going to take me home. Isn't that true? But sometimes our perspective is man-centered. Do you get what I'm saying? And how does this affect me? Rather than God-centered, and, and how does it affect God? And that's what Eliphaz's problem is. Because he can only see, you know, well, if God loves you, he'll deliver you. God doesn't always deliver us. Corey Ten Boom's sister didn't get delivered from the concentration camps, did she? Well, she died in them. But Corey Ten Boom came out. God's purposes. Not one is a better Christian than the other one. It was God's purpose. God's purposes working, moving, happening. He says, Trust in in God's ability to deliver you. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. And you will not be afraid of the destruction when it comes. And you will laugh at destruction and famine. And you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace, and you shall visit your dwelling and find nothing is amiss. And you shall know that your descendants shall be many. Well, that's kind of rough. I mean, any talk about your kids after ten funerals in a day, He's saying, well, you know, if you're righteous, God's going to give you a lot of descendants. It's like a backhanded compliment. You guys know what that is? Yeah, God will deliver you. If you're righteous, you'll have lots of kids. Sorry, Job, you must not be. And your offspring like the grass of the earth. And you shall come to the grave at a full age. You'll be an old man following the Lord as a sheaf of grain ripens in a season Behold, this we have searched out. I have investigated this. This is my experience. (coughs) Eliphaz is the oldest guy there. That's why he speaks first. And he says, it is true. There's just one problem. In a few chapters, God's going to say, no, it's not. It's not true. Hear it and know for yourself. So then Job responds. It says, And Job answered and said, Know that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. He's saying to Eliphaz, You don't have any compassion for the heaviness of my grief. You you don't have any compassion, Empathy. That's Job's response, his initial response to him. The heaviness of the grief in his heart for what has happened in his life. In two days. It's pretty crazy. Where's the compassion? And here's what we discover. If you look at the two arguments between Eliphaz, God is controlled by all of our choices and he's just doing good to good and bad to bad. Um, Eliphaz has <clears throat> got no room for grace he's got the idea that sowing and reaping is equated uh, um, you know with, with if you sow good you get good rather than sowing and reaping equated with the flesh and the spirit or life and death he's got the idea that God can't be satisfied he's not satisfied with his angels there's no way he's going to be satisfied with men uh, you're guilty but the truth is God is satisfied in our faith Job was righteous before God. There's only one way to be righteous before God. The Bible says in Hebrews, it is impossible to please God without faith. For without faith is impossible to please Him. So Job, and we know Job was pleasing to the Lord. God's the one who called him righteous, right? So Job was, was pleasing. He's got this idea, Eliphaz, that God strictly operates a cause and effect. What you do, you get what you deserve. You don't get what you don't deserve. God doesn't have any patience. It's immediate justice. Bam, here it comes. Job responds and he says, where's your compassion for my heaviness? You don't understand the heaviness of my grief. But what we see is the level of commitment in Job is so much greater than the level of commitment for Eliphaz. Eliphaz is like, if I do good, God's good. If I do bad, God's bad. Job is like, no matter what happens to me, God's my God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Shall I not accept bad from the hand of the Lord if I accept good from the hand of the Lord? For Job, God, he had a relationship. Don't you see? It's real. Eliphaz has a religion. Job has a relationship. Eliphaz has a system of rules that he thinks is going to help him be able to manipulate the God of the universe. But Job doesn't have any of the answers, but he believes that the God of the universe is for him. And in chapter 42, God tells us which one's right. Eliphaz believes that the choices of men control God. But look, Job believes that God is in control and working out his purposes in all this. He doesn't know why, but he trusts that God does. (coughs) But look at the second half of verse 3. Therefore, my words have been rash. Look, my grief is heavy. And and when I spoke in chapter three, when I was venting my emotions, hey, my words were rash. I, I, I you know, I get it. You know, I was, I was just kind of popping the cork on on all this emotion that was in me. But but he didn't sin. He didn't blame God. He didn't do he didn't do anything wrong. But he's acknowledging. Look, I have I had rashness coming out. Why? Verse four. For the arrows of the arm of the Almighty are within me. I actually love that. The arrows of the Almighty. All this suffering has come from El Shaddai. That's from him. He's not saying it's from him shaking his fist to heaven like that crazy song they got on the radio now. Please don't sing that part. You guys know the song I'm talking about? I shook my fist to heaven, said, God, why don't you do something? Don't you guys listen to the radio? Yeah, see, you know it. Ah, they play it all the time. What's it, what's it called? But anyways, it's not important because then you'll want to go listen to it. Bad theology, just so you know. Don't shake your fist at heaven and ask God to do something. He's done plenty. <clears> he <throat> don't need to do nothing else. Um, the idea that we see with, with uh, Job is this is from God. It is hurting me. It is heavy upon me. I am ready to give up and I would rather be dead. But never once does he say, God, why? Or he says, God, why? But he doesn't say, God, you've done this evil to me. You're wrong for what you've done to me. And it all, he trusts him. He trusts him and we'll see it in a couple of verses. He says, my spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are against me. Look, I don't understand what God's doing. There's nothing more frightening than being in the midst of all this chaos and having no idea what's happening or why it's happening. The terror of God, he calls it, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. I don't understand what's happening. <clears throat> but then he says, does the wild donkey bray when it has grass or the ox low over its fodder? And even animals are satisfied when they receive that which they need. So so, so, Job should be able to to be satisfied with what he receives. But then in verse 6 and 7, he says, But Eliphaz, your words have no taste. They're tasteless. He says, Can flavorless, flavorless food be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? By the way, just for a side note, the word white of an egg is not what it says. It's a Hebrew word. Nobody knows. They go, um, It might be moldy cheese or some bad vegetable. So since nobody knew, they put white an egg in there. Does anybody got something else there besides white an egg? Somebody got moldy cheese. Anyway, not that it makes any difference, just interesting. There's a Hebrew word they didn't know. But he's saying, your remarks are tasteless. My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. Oh, that I might have my request. Now he moves. Here's my request, that God would grant me The thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Now, I see in those verses, Job's utter submission to God. He's sitting on a pile of ashes. He could walk over to his house, pull out a sword, flop on it. It's over. But he says to God, you loose your hand and take me, crush me, (coughs) kill me. But ultimately, Job is saying to God, you're in control. I'm not taking control. You're in control. And I'm asking you, God. I'm asking you to take my life, cut me off. But he is still submitted to God, even in the midst. Then I would still have comfort, though in anguish I would exult. He will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Hey, Job's saying, I I still believe. I still trust i still i still love him i still love his word i'm not afraid to share what he's what he lays on me or what he gives me but in verse 11 he does say but i am exhausted you ever heard somebody say that in the midst of their suffering what strength do i have that i should hope i'm exhausted and i've lost my hope that's what job says one of the things I never try to do with somebody who's suffering is tell them why they shouldn't feel that way. Because you, you don't always have a lot of control over how you feel. I feel tired. I feel sorry. I feel sad. But I can meet them in that place and lead them to, to, to things that might bring encouragement. You get what I mean? Eliphaz is trying to say, you shouldn't feel that way, Job. Why do you feel that way? There's some sin in your life. There's some darkness you're hiding. There's some problem going on within you. But, but Job is saying, look, I, I am exhausted and without hope. I don't, I don't have any. What is my end that I should prolong my life? So he's exhausted, without hope, and without purpose. I don't have a purpose anymore kids are gone my stuff's all gone my wife hates me so i'm without strength without hope without purpose is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh like bronze is my help not within me is success (coughs) driven from me is there anything i can do about any of this and then in verse 14 he says but in the midst of all this, I need help from my friends. I had a guy tell me that one time. I had reacted uh, extremely poorly in a particular situation, and I don't know if there's any way to tell you guys a whole story without telling you guys a story. Let me think. Well, maybe not. So, (laughs) the things you learn about your pastor. Uh, When I was doing youth ministry, I was in Mexico doing a mission trip. And we had a pretty wild crew out. We were building houses, doing some pretty cool things. The last night of a mission trip after a week in Mexico is... (sighs) <sighs> Always hectic. <clears throat> Usually if I could make it through the last night, I felt like, well, you know, we survived. But on this particular night, there was a kid kind of going crazy, jumping around like a a wild man and just having fun, being a kid. And him and I got into it. And I ended up socking him dead in the eye. Now, that's something your youth pastor is not supposed to do to you. Case. That would shock anyone. So he runs off. I go in the, you know, we're in the middle of, when I say we're in Mexico, I don't mean we're in the city. I mean, we're out in the middle of no place, Mexico. So we're in the wilderness. You walk outside of the camp. 20 yards and you're in the desert so he takes off running i go into my thing and i'm laying there and oh before we do that where he before we split up we had a few words and and he said something like that to me i needed comfort from my friend now i didn't feel like he was acting like he needed comfort i felt like he was acting like he needed something else why he got something else. But I was wrong. As soon as he said that, it was a phrase like that. As soon as he said it, man, like somebody stabbed me in the heart. So, okay. So, anyways, I go into the cabin. And I wait in there for a couple of minutes. Kind of bring my blood pressure down to where I, I don't want to kill every living thing on earth. And I walk out and so i asked everybody well where's he at i don't know he went into the desert so i prayed so god i i gotta go i gotta go talk to this kid he's hurting and i done wrong and i'll have to own up to that when i get back but in the meantime i got a kid in the wilderness so i need to take care of it you got to show me where he went so i go walking out of the camp you know and it's dark so you can't see nothing no footprints nothing can't see any of it <coughs> so I walk out there and and I, every time I'd come to a corner I'd say okay I'd come to that corner say, God you gotta show me where he's at I gotta find him out here and I, I, I'd have no idea where he's at and, and I'd turn left or I'd turn right and in about 5 or 10 minutes I seen him sitting on the side there was no curbs there just dirt road he's sitting by a tumbleweed in the middle of the desert and uh, so I walk up to him and he can't hear anything I want to say because he's pretty upset so he's mad he's angry you know the bible says and as much as it is possible for you do what be at peace with all men so I asked him brother I, you and I got to be okay so what do I got to do and he said put your hands in your pocket let me hit you as hard as i can i said all right so i put my hands in my pocket he hit me as hard as he could and then he started weeping hang on my shoulders crying i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry and it was uh ended up being a pretty cool <laughs> actually it wasn't cool at all but it was that moment <laughs> in the desert was pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome and we he was an artist. We always said he was going to we were at the end of the road. That's what we used to call it. Whenever we we still talk sometimes on Facebook, but we <coughs> we uh we we would say someday you got to paint the end of the road. You know, he was into that painting stuff. But I understood that he didn't need at that moment Whatever kind of correction I thought I could give. He needed a, a friend, somebody who could get past all that stuff. And I couldn't get past it. And by the way, there was not a fun ride back to California, or sitting down with his mom, or sitting down with Pastor Gerald and letting telling everybody what happened. It's not a lot of fun. But that's what we do when we do something wrong. You own it, you take your time on the carpet. If it disqualifies you, then God takes you out of the race. If it doesn't, then God leaves you in. But you you, you own up to the the problems and the issues and and the struggles that you have. And you let God bring healing. Job is sitting there saying, I need my friends. But my friends are around me, hitting me giving me tough love or trying to straighten me out and that's not what I need I need I need somebody to give me strength because I'm exhausted I need somebody to give me hope because I don't have any I need somebody to help me understand my purpose I need friends where are my (coughs) where are my friends to him who is afflicted Kindness should be shown by his friend. You know what that word kindness is? Beautiful word in the Hebrew. It's the word chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D is how you spell it in in English. It's the Hebrew equivalent to the word agapeo. Agape. Self-sacrificing love. Love that loves without any respect or return. It's described a lo- loving... His His tender loving kindness. His <coughs> mercies are new every morning. Those are all translations of the Hebrew word. Has said. Has said the love that is needed of a friend. Close, loyal love. Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Even though he's, he's in a bad place. He needs his friends. The love of his friends. And then he says, my brothers, you guys... My brothers have dealt deceitfully, like a brook, like streams of the brooks that pass away. He's going to describe them like a creek that's there when you don't need water, but when you do need water, it's dry. You guys know any creeks like that? So he says, he says, You guys are are, are deceitful like this this creek. It promises water, refreshment. You're here surrounding me, and I'm thinking refreshment's coming, but rather than refreshment, you dry up. And and that which is refreshing never comes. It says, Like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice, (laughs) and into which the snow vanishes, but when it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. Their paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. My friends, I I need your love, and you're surrounding me with a promise of refreshment. But you're bringing... Rebuke, And in a moment, Job's going to say, if I'd done a sin, tell me what it is. But don't speak in generalities. Well, you must have a secret one, brother. Job says, if I'd sinned, if you say, hey, you're in sexual immorality, then tell me, I'm in sexual immorality, I'll repent right now. But you can't point to one. You're just saying that must be what's going on. And we know from knowing the whole story that that's not the case. He says, the caravans of Tima, they look, the travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident they come there and are confused. He's talking about them seeing that water like a mirage. And they're coming to get some water, but when they get there, there's no water there. Then he says, (coughs) verse 21, for now, you, and by the way, that word you is plural. So the King James gets it right. It says ye, he's talking about his friends. Uh, for now you are nothing, you see terror and are afraid. But did I ever say, bring something to me, or offer a bribe for me from your wealth, or deliver me from an enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of oppressors? Job did, you know did I ask anything of you? Did I ask you to do something for me? Do you know of some sin of which you teach? And then he says in verse 24, teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Tell me what it is. Tell me what I did. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. He's saying, Help me understand why this is happening. But it doesn't help me just to say God only brings bad things on bad people. How forceful are right words! But what does your arguing prove? He says, You're arguing, you're speaking in general terms that aren't even true, that God doesn't bring justice immediately. We know that, we can watch that in real life. So your concept of God, the box Eliaphaz that you put God in, it's, it's, it's not the reality. It's not the reality of, of who God is or what God does. <coughs> and then in verse 26, he, he starts to say, that, so where is your compassion? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one who are like the wind? I'm sitting here on this ash heap all covered with filth and grime and suffering and I'm blowing steam off and I haven't cursed God and I haven't sinned and all of that. But you're going to rebuke all my thoughts. That's your idea of compassion. Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased. Look at me for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Concede, my righteousness still stands. Job says, I did not sin. This is not God's judgment against me. This is God moving for his purpose. But it's not because I did something wrong. I used to think every time I got a flat tire was God telling me he hates me. every time something went wrong, it was God telling me He hates me. The reality was, every time something happened in my life that made me think about God, it was God telling me He loved me. And He wouldn't let His name slip out of my mind. He would bring whatever He needed to bring that I might think of Him or that I might see Him. So Job says, Look, I I haven't done anything. If, is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Man. God controls my days. The comparison of uh, the service of a man, of a hired man, a servant who earnestly desires a shade, or a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. Life is hard. God controls my days and they're not always good. It's, sometimes they're hard days. So I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. Again, God's given these to me. God, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on, but I know it's from God. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. Ever had a night you couldn't sleep? Job's like flopping around like a fish, man. I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep at night. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. Seems like a rough deal, right? So my disease is painful. Verse 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. He's more than happy to say I've lost hope. I lost my hope. I lost my purpose. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to understand what's happening to me. Verse 7, oh, remember that my life is but a breath. Our lives are short. My eye will never again see good. See, I lost my purpose. I'm going to die in this ash heap. I'm just waiting for God to finish me off. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As a cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. It says, death even reveals my own importance. After I'm dead, nobody's going to remember me. So therefore... I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of the soul. My pain is intense. He's just shouting out, I am hurting. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, I am hurting. In verse 12, he says, am I a, a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? He's looking at the three guys around them. And he's speaking toward God, but he's like, am I some kind of monster, and you sent these guys to guard me? These guys are sitting around to make sure I I don't get, get away with anything, I don't do something bad. When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, like the dream that Eliphaz said he had. So that my soul chooses strangling and my body rather, or death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. Just let me die. Leave me alone and let me die. What is man that you should exalt him? That you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? Now he's speaking to the Lord. Why is God concerned with me? Why do I matter to him? Job doesn't understand because you are his champion because you relish your relationship with God more than all the stuff you owned more than all the children you had how long will you look at me <clears throat> or will you will you not look away from me and leave me alone till i swallow my saliva god stop watching me and let me die stop leaving life in me have i sinned What have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? What's happening? I don't understand. Why then do you not pardon my transgression? You see, Job never says he's not a sinner. Why don't you pardon my transgression? But he also knows that God is a forgiver of sins. He also knows that he had faith in the sacrifices that he gave, that he offered. And he understands that God alone is the forgiver. Why then don't you pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For I will lie down in the dust. You will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Job says, I'm not going to live through my grief. He's not right. He's going to live through it. It's amazing what you can live through I don't know that always brings comfort but as we work first discourse is over Eliphaz God is controlled by human choice and decisions and he does bad to bad people good to good people Job says God is outside of human control he controls for his own purposes and he's allowing this in my life but I don't understand why we get to verse, chapter 42. God says, Job's right. God's in control. And we don't always know why. But I always know. He's good. He's not tame. But he's good. And if he's good. Then that means it's not. Not. For nothing I might not be able to see it but God's purposes are higher than mine right higher than mine my wife prayed for years that God would do something to get me right because I was sideways for a long time 13 years in the wind <coughs> She didn't know that what God was going to use to get me right was going to affect her too. That the suffering we went through wouldn't just be on me. But the suffering we went through wasn't for nothing. It was God getting me headed back in the right direction. It was God answering her prayer. She said, give me a better husband (laughs) <laughs> I'm really done with this one. And that's what God did. It doesn't always look the same like we think it should. But it does not mean that God's not doing his purpose in our life, even amidst the chaos that we don't understand. And we, too, can be God's champion if we don't charge God with the wrong, but we just trust him. And it's okay to cry out to the heavens like Job did. I'm hurting. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with crying and and weeping and feeling bad and letting those emotions out. We just don't curse God. We don't blame Him, but that's what's in us. God knows. You don't got to hide that. Just don't be dishonoring. Tell Him your heart watch and see what God does. It may it won't always look pretty, but it'll always be good. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.